0: This is episode number one, four, two, with former Navy SEAL platoon commander and founder of the perfect Push Up, Alden Mills. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. My name is Nick Carrier, lifestyle entrepreneur and fitness trainer. My goal is for you to gain more clarity on what the best version of yourself looks like, what the best version of yourself is capable of, and then to give you the tools, tips, and inspiration on how to make that person a reality. Today, I bring you a badass former Navy SEAL platoon commander, entrepreneur, author, and motivational speaker, Alden Mills. Alden led as a Navy SEAL platoon commander three times and is the co-founder and CEO of Perfect Fitness, which was the fastest-growing consumer products company back in 2009. He is also the inventor of over 40 patented products, most famous of which is the Perfect Push-Up. Yes, Alden has a lot of accolades, but he would like to communicate to others that he's failed 10 times more than he succeeded. There was a time where he almost quit SEAL training, which he talks about in this episode, a time where he was almost kicked out of SEAL training, which he also talks about, and about how he almost went bankrupt before and after the perfect push-up. There's some amazing stories in this one, some amazing motivation and some amazing tips on how to be a better leader. Make sure you also check out his latest book called Unstoppable Teams, The Four Essential Actions of High-Performance Leadership. Make sure you take a screenshot of this episode when you're listening and post it on your Instagram stories and tag me at carrier underscore best you and tag Alden at Alden underscore Mills, A-L-D-E-N underscore M-I-L-L-S. I know he'd love to know you're listening and hear your favorite part. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, then what are you waiting for? Don't miss out on these amazing lessons, these amazing stories that so many are growing from and using to get closer to the best version of themselves. Make sure you share this episode with your friends and family because it just might be the thing that gets them over the hump in their life or in their day or in their week. But for now, it's time. It's time to work on getting closer to the best version of yourself today with this inspiring badass, Alden Mills. All right. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Nick Garrier's Best You Podcast. I am super fired up today. I have former Navy SEAL platoon commander, uh, business owner, entrepreneur, and author, and speaker, Alden Mills, with me today. So, Alden, I just want to start off by appreciating you taking the time to spend with me here today.
1: Nick, it's great to be here. And I love what you're doing. <laughs>
0: Well, I appreciate it. Right back at you. I wouldn't have, wouldn't have you on here if I didn't already look up to you from a uh, virtual sense and from a, I guess, literary sense. So I'm, I'm super stoked to uh, have you on the show. So like I said, real quick, Alden is a former Navy SEAL platoon commander. He's the co-founder and CEO of the fastest growing consumer products company back in 2009, which was Perfect Fitness. And a lot of you guys probably know one of their uh, flagship products, the Perfect Push Up. And you're also the inventor of over 40 patented products as well. Um, author of Unstoppable Teams, The Four Essential Actions of High Performance Leadership, which was an awesome book that I finished about a week and a half ago. Um, so talk, really stoked to talk about um, your a lot of your experiences that are in this book um, from your, your Navy SEAL days, from your business days, and all that kind of good stuff. But before we kind of dive into that, I want to give everybody a little bit more of a, a background on you because I think this story that I'm going to bring up real quick is very important in terms of how how you were shaped early on so when you were young you found out that you had asthma as a kid and the doctor basically told you to start learning chess because you weren't you couldn't really be active and then after that your mom said to you something about that that i feel like really shaped you early on i kind of want you to just talk about that story to give everybody a little bit of a background on you
1: so that story refers to when i was twelve. And I had been, uh, I'd spent a lot of time in bed to the point where they thought I had spinal meningitis and I had to get a spinal tap. And I I grew up in this rural community in central Mass, and we didn't have a pulmonologist. So they got sent to a, a big hospital in the big city of Wista, Mass. And this guy looked like Danny DeVito, right? He had this white wispy hair and Coke bottle glasses and he looked like he was constantly smelling sour milk and he talked with a Boston-y kind of accent and he's like, I see the problem here, Mrs. Mills. Your son, he was born with a smaller set of lungs than normal and he's got asthma. And I suggest he learn the game of chess and lead a less active lifestyle and we'll give him some medicine, right? and I was totally depressed at that moment. Mom noticed, and she tapped me on the shoulder, sent me into the lobby, and she came back out, and she said to me something that I didn't get that first day, but I got it after a couple years of her constantly repeating it, as she dug her velociraptor-like claws into my forearm and said, Alden, nobody defines what you can or can't do but you. Now, we'll get you the medicine, but you've got to decide what you can or can't do. Not that doctor in there. It's up to you. Do you hear me? Of course, I just wanted her to release the clause, right? Right. But that was a transformative moment for me. And when I use the term transformative, I'm referring to flipping a belief. And she was the first one in my life that really flipped a belief. And here it is, this expert. In this case, a medical officer, a doctor saying he's got asthma, therefore he can't do X, Y, and Z. And she was the one like, no, 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 you got to make that decision, not him.
0: Yeah. So when you were, do you really think that if maybe she didn't say anything about this, that your belief would have been switched? Like, Do you think that you would have maybe like attempted some things and you would have kind of seen your actual ability to do more things and you would have been able to flip a belief by yourself. Or do you think, did you, did you always go back to her saying that kind of, you know, years later once you kind of got it?
1: Well, you know, she would say it, my dad would say it. They would encourage me to go try different sports. They'd be like, so what if you scored on your own team in basketball, go try another sport. Right. And you know, I was terrible with ball sports, but it was their constant belief in that I could do what I wanted to do that encouraged me. And I saw kids who were like, "Well, I got asthma, so I can't do those things. I got to go stay on the quiet side of the playground, so to speak." And you know how many times somebody's come up to me and is like, "You know, I wish I could do that. I wanted to be a Navy SEAL, but you know, I had this problem or that problem." Maybe they did. But it was that moment where I decided that wasn't going to be the, you know, it wasn't that moment, but it was that pivotal period of time where a belief changed and I decided to accept a different belief over time. Mm -hmm. I built up a habit of like, all right, I got to figure out a way to, you know, get calm my lungs down so I can keep doing this sport because once that occurred, The cascading series of events were try another sport, try another sport, try another sport. And I finally found a sport after the fifth one called rowing. And I got really good at that. And I got recruited to the Naval Academy. And the Naval Academy took me to SEAL Team. And then SEAL Team eventually gave me the idea for Perfect Push-Up and creating a business. And, you know, it gives you confidence. Each step of the way that you get one of these goals, you start dreaming up a bigger one. Right? right? And it comes back to that initial conversation that you have inside of yourself. And that conversation, I outline it in the book. I call it the whiner and the whisperer pointing to my heart. And the whiner is the one that it knows what it knows. It looks in the rearview mirror. It's focusing on the doubt. And why do you think you can do this, right? And We talk about negativity bias and how much more focus and emphasis we put on negative thoughts versus positive ones and we do that in part because we have a survival mode and learning about negativity is really important to keep us alive but in today's world we don't have to worry as much about survival as we do about the focus of thriving that's what we're really after and so many folks they give up right before they have that opportunity to thrive, or worse, they never even dare to dream big enough and go after any of it.
0: Yeah. So I really, I really like your distinction that you talk about the whiner and the whisperer and basically the whiner being the person, the, the part of your brain that's telling you like, you can't do it. Look how hard it's going to be. All this kind of stuff. The whisperer being the much softer voice saying like, you can do it. Like, attempt it go for it that sort of thing i want you to talk about how we can start to because our brain is so wired we do we do kind of naturally tend to listen to the whiner how can we start to in a sense rewire our brain and and re and um, and reteach ourselves how to listen listen to the whisperer more often
1: so my answer to that is we have a platform i detail it in the book In SEAL Team, they call it a weapons platform. The platform is nothing more than our controllables, the things that we can control. What can we control? We can control how we think. We can control how we feel. Now, that's the emotion. Emotion has to do with feel, believe, and behave, right? That's where our behaviors come from. And we have a physical Platform, literally, how much work can our platform do, our body, right? And there is a fourth piece, and the fourth piece is our faith. Now, when you hear someone talk about faith, they instinctively think, oh, is he Catholic or Protestant or Muslim? No, faith is about having a complete trust in something other than yourself. And regardless of what your spiritual or religious background is, you need these four components, the mental, the emotional, the physical, and this faith or spiritual component because there's going to be moments where you decide, I don't know how I can do this. And if you don't know how to do it, one of two things is going to happen. Number one, you're going to go, oh my God, there's just way too many negatives here. I can't get over it. The fear is going to stop you and create a limit. Or two, you're going to be like, you know what? I don't really know how I'm going to do it. But I know if I don't do this, I'm going to regret this for the rest of my life. I have got to just believe, right? I've got to have some faith in something. And that faith ends up crossing the divide between the known and the unknown. So the controllables are all about that focus. And how you bring them together is what I call the focus funnel. Focus does nothing more than funnel your energy into taking an action. Hmm. And then you've got to filter your thoughts into, is this helpful or is this hurtful? Is it helpful to getting me to my next position? Even if I can't go straight to it, I've got to take a left and zigzag and pivot another way and another way to finally get to it where it kind of looks like an EKG graph, right? But you're going up and to the right. That is the first component to the focus for me along with, okay, what can I control? Am I focusing on what I can control or am I focusing on what I can't control? That's the other piece of filtering your thoughts,
0: Gotcha. Yeah, so I want to I want to bring this to a very specific example for you in your own life. So after you were a Navy SEAL and uh, basically kind of when you stepped into the entrepreneur space, you were coming out with um, a product called or product I think product called Body Rev, and you basically had um, brought all this money together, 1.5 million dollars or something like that with family and friends, money and, and stuff like that. And you guys yeah, spent-
1: good, good. You remember the story. Yes. Of course,
0: of course. And yeah, so you you, can, you kind of spent years building this thing, building, building this thing, building this thing. And then all of a sudden you realize that you kind of basically lost almost all the money and it didn't work. And so at this point in time, everybody's kind of like, go get a job, go get a job. Um, this isn't working, all this kind of thing. So at this point, you know, the whiner is yelling at you, yelling at you. What? how do you find it within yourself to to keep going? Was it like, and I, did you kind of have an idea of where you wanted to go next? Was it simply a belief in yourself? Was it like a lesson that you wanted to show your sons that you're not a quitter? What exactly was it that kept you going?
1: Oh, so you hit on one of the last components that was really a primary. And what I call that is really going through in your head Uh, These different consequences or the outcomes I call it an outcome account, right? The The positive outcome account and the negative outcome account on the positive side. It's okay if this if I succeed How does that make me feel and who does it impact? Right if I don't succeed Who does it impact and how does that make me feel? And I really played it out. And when I talk about who does it impact, I go after the people that are the most important people in my life. And at this moment, when I was looking at bankruptcy with Body Rev, I had two boys at that point, and my wife was pregnant with number three. And I really played out 10, 20 years from now, I'm going to have to replay this movie, this outcome movie, and tell my boys, well, your dad went bankrupt and here's what I did and here's why I did it and don't do what dad did, right? I really didn't want to star in that movie. And I really also had this positive vision of, wow, wouldn't it be cool after I learned all these different ways not to launch a product, to take another product and finally get it? Wouldn't that be just like the great hero's journey, right? Right. He's down and out and he's just about bankrupt and we turn it around and those were the i made those decisions i made those decisions to focus on those kind of outcomes it would have been very easy to take what the small group of investors had said to me pulled me aside and said it's over you have to go bankrupt you don't have enough money let me show you a chart these are called cash flow statements right right you can't pay back your investors or your lawyers or your accountants or your managers but they didn't want to hear about the perfect pushup they just said, no, it can't be done. And they had made that decision for themselves, but it it was up to me to make that decision. Right? Yes. Same like the doctor. It was up yeah. to me to make that decision.
0: So, yeah, it's funny. So I actually just, my, my podcast just released an interview yesterday with a guy who's a cognitive neuroscientist. And I, I, was, I talked to him about how one of the things that I know motivates me a lot is- Kind of the, the vision of what success looks like, kind of like the positive outcome and, and that sort of thing. I know that, um, that works, you know, for, for a lot of people, but he, t- he talked about how the, a lot of the scientific research shows that we humans are much more, a lot are very much motivated what, what about, eh, excuse me, they're very much motivated by what they have the potential to lose rather than simply what they have to gain. And to me, like when I, after I read your story, after I talked to him, I was like, oh my gosh, this is a perfect example of that.
1: That's right. in uh, the example you're referring to, when I talk about the outcome accounts is the negative becomes more powerful than the positive. You just have to use the negative as positive fuel. Does that right? Make sense? Right? Yeah. Like the negative was, I do not want to tell my boys Don't do what dad did. He quit. You know, don't, don't do these things. And, and I could have used lots of other examples. Like there was a time where I was thinking of quitting in hell week and you'd flash, I would flash forward to like, Oh man, what would that feel like if I have to go back and tell all these people who said, I knew you wouldn't make it. Would I want to deal with that with the rest of my life? You know, I built up those movies and I I call them those outcome movies. Same thing I talk about in my TED talk was Mm -hmm. all about building up that filter in your head of both the positive outcomes and the negative outcomes.
0: Yeah. Well, so let's, let's go to that, that example then that you talked about. You said there was a time during hell week where you thought about quitting. What was, uh, what was that particular time?
1: Uh, I was going through a winter hell week and by the time We reach Wednesday. Hell week goes from a Sunday to a Friday. They keep you up, and they give you a total of about three, three and a half hours of sleep for the entire week. So by Wednesday, you're pretty tattered, right? Now it's Wednesday night, and they put me aside. I'm the only officer left. There's 17 in the class uh, besides myself, so 18 total. We started right before class-up phase with 122. And they pulled me aside, the instructors, and they said, sir, look around. How do you think you can lead in SEAL Team when you can't even lead through Hell Week? Your class is decimated. We're probably going to have to close the class down and roll it into another class because you're just such a bad leader. It's time, sir. The, The bell's over here. Let's go ring it. And, you know, there was this – and they didn't yell at me. They were being very soft and kind-hearted, if you could be that way, right? And they were trying to approach me with logic, and I'm like, oh, my God. Am I really that bad of a leader? Now, I had a reason to believe that I was not a bad leader. Uh, I had been elected by my teammates at the Naval Academy to be the captain of the crew. Which I was very proud of to be, you know, chosen as a leader among leaders to do that. So I knew in my heart of hearts I wasn't that bad of a leader. But there was a moment when I was so tired and had been up for three days straight and I was exhausted and I was and I I, I I'm missing skin in my thighs and I was just miserable. I was like, oh my God. Maybe maybe they're right. Right? And then I caught myself within you know, a flash of a few seconds after I played out, what What would it feel like right after I run that bell? What would it feel like going home? What would it feel like telling my parents? What would it feel like 20 years from now when I knew I wanted to be a father and I'd tell my kids, yeah, your dad quit, don't do what dad did. Mm. And so what was I doing? I was playing out every person that I really cared about in my life and how it impacted my relationship and my feelings with that.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's powerful. That's powerful. I think that's,
1: I feel like that's something
0: that a lot of people don't do. And you can do it so deliberately too when you're going through a situation to, you know, keep pushing through and, and stay persistent. So I wanna to go to another, uh, another story from your Navy SEAL days about how you had to do a three mile open water swim. And beforehand, you had taken some your your asthma medication, but as a Navy SEAL, you're not allowed to be asthmatic, I think would be the term. And so you had to be pulled out of the swim because your lungs were filled up with blood, if I understood that correctly. Um, and then afterwards, they basically kind of realized you had asthma, but like, sir, you can't be a Navy SEAL if you have asthma. Like you have to pass these tests. And you said that you ended up... You did pass them. And in your book, you said that's a story for another day. So I feel like today's another day and I want to know how you pass those asthma tests.
1: Okay, so let me give you part one. Uh, I got diagnosed at 12 with asthma and I was given two different medications. One of the medications I continued to take through the Naval Academy in the SEAL uh, basic training which was called Theodore. It was a pill, and I had kind of given up the inhaler, but I hadn't given up that pill because I had heard, well, you know, it helps your lungs process oxygen and keep them relaxed. And I was like, well, you know, a pills an easy thing to take. I could keep sneaking that, and I did until that three mile swim. And I don't know if I had an infection in my lungs or whatever, but my lungs filled up with blood, and I was. I was um, aspirating blood. And so I got pulled out and then they did a blood test on me and they found an antigen in my blood that wasn't supposed to be there. And then they had figured out I had been taking uh, a medicine Mm -hmm. that was not allowed. And they offered me a very logical, like, sir, it's amazing you made it this far, but we don't tolerate asthmatics, can't be asthmatic, you're gonna get a process out of the Navy. Sign this sheet. And I had another flashback. And I was like, well, this is the easiest way for me to go. I've already made it through Hell Week. You know, I'm halfway through SEAL training. They're making me feel good that I got this far. But I didn't get my goal. I and do I really know how who knows? Maybe I outgrew my asthma. Maybe, maybe my lungs are stronger why not give it one more try without taking the medication? And they got really mad at me because I wouldn't sign it. And I said, fine, we're pulling you out of your class. We're going to put you – you're going to have to go back through a portion of SEAL training again, which sucks. Let me just bring that piece up. Right. But before you do any of that, you got to pass what's called a methacholine challenge, and you're going to have to go into um, – a big hospital in San Diego. They're going to put you inside a closet and you're going to put a mask on you and they're going to pump mist in there and they're going to compare how much uh, your lungs constrict when they pump this mist in there because it's going to induce asthma. Well, two things happened. One, I did take the test and when I took the test, there was somebody else that had to monitor the results, but they. They got to turn their back to me. Um, I'm not proud of this, but I didn't want to take any chances. So I might have not breathed in as much as I should have or enforced the exhale as much as I should have in the beginning. And, And I did my very best to get around that test. Lo and behold, I passed it. And I also made a commitment to myself that from here on out, I can't rely on a crutch for a medicine. And if I can't do this without the medicine, then it's not meant to be. Mm -hmm. Uh, Thankfully uh, the rollback as much as I hated being rolled back out of my class and that I had to repeat several weeks of training turned out to be a godsend because it did allow me time to heal and become stronger. And the fact that I didn't need the medicine to get through it. Wow. Jeez.
0: Well, I, uh, I acknowledge you for finding every, any way how and to uh, take ownership for the situation and, and find your way through it to uh, stay on track with your goal. That's, that's insane.
1: But, but um, Nick, I want, I want to stress something. And it's very much like, because I like to climb mountains. Every year I do a mountain climb. And many of the mountains can be really intimidating. Like we climbed Denali uh, a year and a half ago. And Denali is the tallest one in uh, North America, a little over 20,000 feet. You can't see the peak for a long time, right? And you got to climb up it and go down and climb up it because you got to acclimate. And mountain climbing is a great analogy to going after a goal. And that is, and when I talk about focus, don't focus on the mountain on how many more steps you got to take focus on that moment it would have been very easy for me to get caught up and i almost did on oh my gosh if uh, i'm creating these negative hypotheticals if i'm like this right now and i can't lead in hell week then i'll never be able to lead in seal team i have two more years before i I'll learn more ways to lead by that point, right? If on, I'm sick, lying on that table, oh, there's no way that you can make it through seal training because you haven't taken that. You know, you take this medicine. I'm like, well, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe if I don't take that medicine, I could, I could at least fight one more day, right? And that's what I call focus on the moment, not the mountain. Whatever anybody's goal is, when they're tuning in for you, whether their goal is to lose 30 pounds or to make $30 million, it's one day at a time. It's one moment at a time. It's what can I do this hour, this minute that can help me in some small way get to climbing my mountain.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's such an important lesson. And, and one, I've, I've heard a decent amount, but it's so much easier said than done. So what are, what are some other ways that we can make sure that we just focus on the moment? Because everybody is like, especially, I know I find myself doing it all the time. You know, it's like, oh man, if I don't make this much money now, I won't be able to save this much. Like, you know, what if I have kid, when I have kids, I'm, I need to be able to pay for this, this and this. And you know, you get caught in all these, cycle of things of what if, what if, what if, like, how do we break that down just to be able to actually focus on the now, focus on this hour, focus on this day, focus on this task and be present?
1: One is the logic and understanding that all those other hypotheticals do you no good. Yeah. There's nothing you can do about it. Not a single thing. Worry, worry is nothing more than a time suck of energy, right? It it does you no good. If the very first question you can start to build a habit of in your head, can I control this? Is this helpful or hurtful towards my goal? Now that brings up a fourth point. I'm a big goal setter. And how you set goals and how often you look at your goals and know what they are Is very helpful in reminding you, can can whatever this action is I'm doing be helpful or hurtful to my goal? Let me give you an example. This morning, I had one hour of free time to myself. What do I do in that one hour? First thing I do, okay, I've just finished doing my 2020 goals and because it's a new year into a new decade, I also do a 10-year rolling goals. Goals, a big goal, is made up of a whole bunch of littler goals, right? And those sub-goals are the things that we're like, okay, well, for this month, these are the sub-goals I need to do. In this one hour, what are a couple of key things that could help me to accomplish one of those sub-goals? Right? Those little moments, you sit down in the middle of the day and you're playing on social media and you're like, wait a minute. If you can get yourself to stop yourself for just a moment and go like, wait, do I really need to be doing this? Social media just sucks me in, right? It's cheap dopamine hits from every click and and again and again until you can shut it all off and go, "Well, well, that's not really helping me to get to my goal unless you're building a social media platform and you're doing specific work. You've got to find a way that can overpower your um, instantaneous, pleasurable hit that you're looking at at that moment to, I'm ready to do some long-term work to get me to where that goal is. And if the goal isn't that important and you haven't really defined it and it's not that valuable in what you value, then you'll succumb to the short-term dopamine hit or the short-term sugar hit of, well, I'm just going to do something that makes me feel good right now versus something that if I do this, and when I talk about goals, I'm really talking about goals that are transformative. Goals that if you accomplish them, they change your direction in life. I'm not talking about a goal of, excuse me, I'm not talking about a goal of, gee, I'd like to have a, a Ferrari parked in my driveway. Right. Newsflash, a thing, a thing that you can buy doesn't typically transform your life. Now, some people will say, well, if you have a Lamborghini, more people will look at me and social media and they'll think I'm cooler. Maybe for a moment, but you're not in it for that. Yeah. That one you're in for the long term. And so the real goals you're after are transformative goals, goals that will change your direction. And when you can start thinking about what life feels like when you've changed that direction, then it brings you back to that one hour of free time. And what can I do in that one hour that can make a difference, even though it may be a small difference? One step forward is a step forward.
0: Yeah, I like that. Being really aware of, like you said, um, whether this is going to be hurtful or uh, or, or helpful in terms of, yeah, in terms of getting to that goal and then break it down, you know, be able to create like define what success looks like at the end of this hour at the end of this day at the end of this week so you can just stay present and what is the most important thing that's right in front of me right now um but i want to get into there there's another thing in the book that that prompted a question that i wanted to ask so i'm going to fast forward a little bit to your your business days business days and you're big on communication that's one of the big things that you talk a lot about in your book and you said in your book in two instances that you failed to candidly communicate the good and the bad news to investors that almost cost you or that did cost you precious credibility and almost lost you your company. So I want to ask about maybe one, one of those uh, instances in which you didn't clearly communicate and how you could have maybe made the adjustment to, to clearly communicate to, to where you wouldn't have had lost that credibility with them.
1: Well, look. Most people don't like communicating bad news, right? And That's especially true. Af- after we were on fire, after we almost went bankrupt and then became the fastest growing consumer products company in the country. And then all of a sudden, we're looking at bankruptcy again. Because we've grown so fast, the economy took a total nosedive, and we hadn't been paying attention to a couple of really critical components of the business, in particular, the back office, operational inventory management, and shipping. Not to mention, we ended up also having a product recall because a product came out that wasn't as good as it should have been from a manufacturing standpoint, and then we had to do a recall on it. Not unusual to do recalls, still painful to do it. Uh, But when you're managing investors and trying to lead the conversation, by not sharing bad news as quickly as we could have, uh, we kept waiting saying, oh, get better, get better. We'll talk about it as a speed bump, right? Then that becomes alarming to them at some point. And that that, that hurt us with credibility when they were like, Hey, you're not giving me the full picture. Uh, That was a really tough lesson learned when we were, went back through. And I I'd say some of the most challenging times of my business career weren't trying to make the Inc 500 list. It was trying to save a company after we had made the Inc 500 list. And we did and we turned it around and it became even stronger than it was before. But there is a natural tendency not to share the bad news, only the good news. So, so how can, how can,
0: because I think everybody, I mean, as simple as, as literally as simple as when you're going to meet somebody, everybody always says, you know, I'll be there in five minutes. I'll be there in two minutes. I'll be there in 10 minutes when it's going to be longer. You know, that's such a simple thing that's like kind of t- says what you're talking about. Nobody wants to give bad news because I think that's kind of what that boils down to. What, how can we get over it? How can we get over it and be as honest and transparent as possible about the news?
1: Number one, own it. Right? Cut two inches above the quick. So what I mean by that from a, a medical standpoint, if you've got a gangrene, you got an issue, right? Don't just cut a little of the gangrene out. Go two inches above it and cut it all out. So in the case of, hey, I'm I'm actually gonna be 15 minutes late, but I'll tell them five and oh my God, I got slowed up. And that just hurts your credibility. Just say, you know what? I'm really sorry. I'm gonna be 30 minutes late. This was my fault. And own it. And then mm-hmm. someone would be like, okay, I got 30 minutes. I can do something in that 30 minutes. And you show up 10 minutes early, but it's fine because now you've been able to, you know, underpromise and overdeliver. The the death by a thousand nicks is actually a death by a thousand nicks of your credibility. It doesn't hurt them as much as it hurts you. Mm -hmm. And owning that is a really important component to you being a leader. And at the end of the day, the Unstoppable Teams book is really first and foremost about talking about how you lead yourself. If you're constantly coming up with a way to kind of sugarcoat the news versus I made a mistake, And oh, by the way, people like hearing bad news fast. They want to know what they got to roll their sleeves up for. They are expecting people to make a mistake. Nobody is perfect. That's why we need a team. We are built imperfectly so we can get along and work or learn to get along and work with others to form something that's way more powerful than what we could ever do by ourselves. But mm-hmm. if you can't come to grips with what you can own as a person and be accountable, it's going to be very hard for you to attract other people that are as good, if not better than you in different skill sets because they can't trust you. Mm. Right? It all still comes down to trust.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So when you, when you are trying to find people to assemble on your, the different teams, the numerous different teams that you've, developed and created what are do you have any like some like go-to like interview questions or questions that you just like to ask people that you feel give you a lot of feedback in terms of if they're going to be a good fit or not
1: oh absolutely first question tell me about your biggest failure tells me so much right out of the gate because inevitably someone i'll interview is like you know, I, Mr. Miller, I guess I've just been really lucky. Um, <laughs> everything I touch, I just seem to succeed at. Oh, really? Well, guess what? You didn't succeed at this interview. It's now over. Because mm-hmm. if somebody has, can't think of a single failure, you know what that tells me, Nick? They haven't pushed themselves hard enough. Right. At the end of the day, that's what this life is about. Let's push the boundaries. Let's go beyond what we originally thought was possible. And when you do that, you only fail if you don't learn from it. I've got, I have failed way more than I've ever succeeded. Mm-hmm. But I get known for some of my great successes, people had never known that I was $20,000 away from never launching the perfect push-up, from looking at bankruptcy three times from almost getting kicked out of seal team twice. uh, Because one, I was cheating on asthma and another one I was sick. I mean, they wouldn't know those things. Right. And another time I'm almost thinking of quitting because, Oh my God, I'd lost so many different people. But when Someone is then authentic about, hey, let me tell you about my struggles. That struggle builds strength. But if someone's saying, you know, I'm sorry, I just I never really struggled that much. Well, then don't join my team because we're going to struggle mightily together. And by the way, it's going to bring us together more. And we're going to do something that's going to be a world's first at something. And that's Mm going to be fun.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. I love it. Well, we're getting down here on time, so I want to get to the last couple of questions here. So I think one of the most important things in terms of getting closer to the best version of yourself is is to try to, and I kind of mentioned to you beforehand, is try to create some kind of vision as to what that person looks like, what that person is capable of, and, and then try to kind of reverse engineer that person. So my second to last question is, is there a particular skill or piece of knowledge that the best version of yourself has that you don't currently have.
1: There are, there are skills that are still in my current person's toolbox that are not as developed as I want them to be in the version that I aspire to be. Mm -hmm. And those skills are I want to continue curiosity and continue to look for ways similar. Now I'm now 51. And one of the things that I find with a lot of my contemporaries is they're like, my brain's full. I'm done. I'm good. You know what I know, what I know. And that's bull. That's crap. At the end of the day, Let's stay curious right up until that very moment and then be curious about, oh, what's it like when I die? Right? Much more interesting way to go. I am, there are skills of, that I really want to learn better ways to help people with they're stuck on a belief, an anchor that's holding them back. I want to learn more ways to help people cut that anchor and start to look forward instead of being dragged backwards. There are more ways that I'd love to learn how to inspire people to go beyond what they originally thought was possible.
0: Hmm. Well, that's that's awesome. I, I want to acknowledge you before the last question for those. I mean, those things are awesome that you want to develop just just want to be to serve other people in the best way that that you possibly can. And the only way that you can serve people in the best way that you possibly can is to upgrade your own skills and own knowledge and and own skill set to be able to do that. Um, and I just, I think that your story is so, like everybody talks about learning from like learning from your failures and embracing those things. But I think that you're such a great walking example of that and for you to be able to, to own all those, to, Recall the lessons um, from all your experiences and to be able to to be able to use those to not really make as the exact same mistake again, um, like later on, I think it's just super admirable. And I know that is something I look up to for sure.
1: Well, thank you, Nick. And I will tell you, you're on the right path. And any of your audience members who are emulating your mindset, you're going to have a spectacular life. Well, I appreciate it. Keep learning, keep aspiring, and keep pushing yourself out of the comfort zone. That's the key thing. Don't accept the mediocrity of the comfort zone as your status quo. Yeah.
0: I love that. I love that. Yeah. Staying curious. That's what I'm trying to do with this podcast, learn from amazing people like you. I want to make sure everybody can go uh, support you as much as possible. So tell everybody about where they can follow you, your website, and where they can uh, get a copy of this awesome book.
1: Well, you can go to alden-mills.com. And uh, if you're interested in a copy of the book, Amazon and Barnes and Noble both have copies of that book. Uh, They also have it in ebook form and in audible form.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Good deal. Well, I'll make sure we uh, get all that linked up for everybody um, on the show notes and on my website and everything like that. Well, the last question is, 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 Relatively similar to that, to the one that I just asked, but I believe that becoming the best version of yourself is a constant journey, like we've talked about, and a very unique journey as well. I think the way that I'm gonna become the best version of myself is gonna be a little bit different from the way that you become the best version of yourself. So, what I wanna ask for you personally is if there are three things that you could currently do to get closer to the best version of yourself, what are those three things that you could do?
1: Number one, take care of my health. If you do not have your health, and I break that into three components, sleep, nutrition, and movement. If you don't do those components, you do not have health. If you don't have health, then the other two things really don't matter. But the other two things, continual learning. I'm, I'm always looking, what is one thing I can learn about this day, right? What's one new thing I can add to it? And Number three, in that case, number three, I'm constantly looking for the next thing to set as a goal. Like, okay, how can I achieve the goals that I'm on? And where am I going to go next, right? The dreaming never stops. The dreamings should just get bigger. So keep mm-hmm. dreaming and then get after them. Be persistent every day doesn't matter if you get knocked back just look at that as an opportunity to grow but don't you dare give up on your dreams
0: i love it i love it that's no better way to finish right there well i appreciate it all and that was awesome
1: hey i appreciate you now go out there and keep crushing it make sure you and all your listeners are unstoppable and make 2020 your best year in the beginning of your best decade ever.
0: There you have it. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode and these awesome stories and insights from Alden today. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you go leave it a quick review on the Apple Podcasts app or on iTunes. I try to bring you guys week in and week out some of the best people in the world in their industry. So all I ask in return is maybe a quick review, maybe sharing it with your friends, maybe posting it about it on social media, whatever works best for you. We just want to make sure that we share these inspiring words and stories to more people so that we can all work as one big unstoppable team to get closer to the best version of ourselves remember that the whiner in you is always going to be louder than the whisperer so don't give in don't give in to that voice that says you can't do it that says you don't know how that says you're not good enough dig deeper focus on the moment take one step at a time don't worry about 2020 as a whole just yet Don't even worry about February as a whole yet. Worry about improving incrementally today towards your bigger goals because the only way that you're going to get to those bigger goals and the only way that those come true is if you take one step forward today. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Let me know what you think by sending me a quick DM on Instagram at carrier underscore best you. Rate and review the show. Subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Share it with a friend or family member. Help to grow this community and spread the word. But for now, it's time. It's time to take action time to get off your phone and do the work work on improving yourself physically mentally spiritually so that you can help yourself in the best way you know how and so that you can help others to the best of your ability as well so go out there today tomorrow and the rest of this week and get closer and closer to your best you